Hey, hi everyone. Thank you so much for listening to Beyond Eight Figures. This is AJ, the journeyman entrepreneur with another Beyond Eight Figure episode for you. On the show, we talk with top entrepreneurs about the realities of building an eight-figure business, what success really means to them, and hear from them about some of their winning strategies and tactics. Tune in to each episode to learn how to grow your business beyond 10 million, and more importantly, create your own personal legacy. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of Beyond Eight Figures. Thank you so much for tuning in. And please, if you're enjoying the show, go leave us a review on your favorite streaming platform. It so helps other entrepreneurs find the show and it helps us learn how to better craft the show for your needs. We really love all the feedback we're getting and truly we listen and read and discuss everything that everyone says about this. So thank you. And please just leave us a review. All right. Today we have a wonderful entrepreneur who has had a significant impact in my ability to keep up with what's going on in the world, specifically in new technologies, new business models and play. Drew Wiley is the founder and CEO of Trends.VC. Trends.VC is this amazing sort of combination, trend analysis, detailed, regular detailed reports on new business models, evolving technologies, things, everything from like micro SaaSes to micro acquisitions to how to use NFTs in business to building a 1 million one-person company. Regularly, they crowdsource it. It is deep, deep dives into who's doing it, how to do it, the problems, the opportunities, and the resources to dive in further and deeper. These are great. But what I think is truly the magic sauce for Trends.VC is their community. I've been a longtime member of it. And while I am not one of the daily check-ins, because this is one of their main things, is that, you know, members will have daily status reports where they kind of update what they're working on to support each other. I just am not that disciplined. But it is really impressive. And that community is growing in leaps and bounds. And Drew will talk a little bit about where they're going with this. And it is really impressive. I think impressive is something I will say many, many times in my discussion and talking about Drew. His force of will, his focus on building this is amazing. We'll talk a little bit about two things that are very interesting and very related to this. One, we'll talk about his efforts to grow and maintain his health. Now, yes, this is something we talk a lot with other entrepreneurs, but as he dives into, he's living a digital nomad life, he's working from around the world, he's constantly traveling, and his focus on this is very, very detailed. That is nothing compared to his daily efforts to focus on his goals. He reviews and spends hours every day reviewing his efforts towards his long-term goals and consistently evaluating and improving his planning or working on his planning for moving forward. I do not have that discipline. And discipline is something I don't like to say because it's more about your processes and your structures and what you do. But his effort, and we'll talk about this and I may even tease him, but his focus on improving 
this offering for his members and his community is truly impressive. And I think it's something we should look at and see where it fits within our own willingness to build something and what we can take out of this. Also, a little bit where he talks about pushing himself out of his comfort zone in different areas, both physically and in business. So, well worth diving in and listening to the truly amazing Drew Riley talk about how he's growing Trends.BC. Let's go talk with Drew right now. Hey, Drew. Thank you so much for coming on the show. It is really cool to have you here. Um, I was just telling the audience just you know, how much I really enjoy Trends.VC and you know I've massacred. But the weekly we- meetings you, I used to join that you guys still do, I feel bad that I don't do them anymore. But you, you know, it's such a cool community you've been building. So thank you so much for coming on the show here. Thanks for having me, AJ. So you're, how long are you in Mexico since we were just chatting about that? So I'm here for at least a month. Uh, this past month has been a lot of travel, five cities, two conferences, and I'm ready to settle back down. Uh, so one month may turn into four months as I start to uh, sort of love pleasures of a static space instead of constantly hopping around. Well, no, they do have their moments. Well, very cool. Given that I've been following trends stuff is, and then watching as it's been kind of growing and becoming even a cooler community and a you know, higher end information product as you send it out, where do you see yourself as an entrepreneur these days? Yeah, so we're very much in the thick of it. Uh, still a small team of six people. Uh, the most recent big transition uh, that we made was from me researching and writing reports and interviewing domain experts for the first two years of our existence to hiring analysts and moving into more of an editor role, which still allows me to exercise some judgment around the quality of reports. So when you ask the question, where do I see myself as an entrepreneur uh, stepping into more of a leadership role, more of an editor role? As an editor, you know, now that you're taking on more of an editor role, are there things you're going to continue working on as an entrepreneur to take it further to take the community further? Absolutely. So right before our call, I was messaging with one of our developers where I would say there are two threads of work happening right now on the community side. Uh, One is around building up standups, making it more compelling to be more accountable, which then leads to productivity. We're working on a stand-up badge system right now where for each stand-up milestone that you hit, you'll get a badge added to your profile automatically. The other thread that we're working on right now, and I'm really excited about and sort of is our North Star for the business as a whole, is around masterminds where we have five live mastermind groups. Now we have one going live next week, another one going live the week after that. And we went back and forth in terms of whether to use off-the-shelf software for this. But since it will be such a big part of our business, we've been sort of caught off guard in the past by some software vendors where they will take the product in one direction that hurts us and sometimes completely halts our business. (laughs) When you were uh, engaged in the community, uh, I won't name any names, but (laughs) we probably know uh, who I'm thinking about now. Uh, so since that's so core to our business, so avoid that platform risk, I think it's important that we sort of own that part and it can become less of this thing where, oh, we have to build it to, oh, it's great that we get a chance uh, to design the system exactly uh, the way that we want it to work. Now, that is a big deal because, yeah, I mean, it is the lamentation of almost 
every community owner I've ever spoken to is the software. And it is a ongoing concern. But no, I love that concept with the masterminds. Now, are they rolling out around concepts that you guys are coming out with? So like each report that comes out, are the masterminds around that and how to incorporate issues around that in business or how are the masterminds looking? Sure. So our quote unquote oldest mastermind has been around for maybe over a year at this point. And in our case, uh, masterminds are a group of at maximum six people. And the basic format is that we meet once a week for an hour and we start off with an icebreaker question round robin. Uh, and the purpose of that icebreaker question is to build trust. And then we go into updates, which also operates round robin of what did you do last week? What do you plan to do this week? And what are you struggling with? And a few interesting things happens in this format. One is if someone has a similar struggle to you, you often solve your problem quicker by hearing them describe it. Like we see other people's BS or their struggles easier than we see our own. Like sometimes we're just in a vacuum or a bubble. Uh, the other thing, which is more obvious, is that if someone else has experience uh, solving a problem, you get that immediate sort of feedback or at least their story or their experience. And you can use that experience going forward. And you asked about, are these masterminds based on topics that we recently covered in reports? And the answer right now is no. And there are pros and cons to that model where I think an advantage of this being a general group where we have people running SaaS companies, people running media companies, full-time investors, sort of a ragtag group of people sprinkled into these groups. It means that you sort of don't fall into this echo chamber where you're only looking at ideas in your industry. So a lot of problems can be solved by thinking laterally. So that's on one end, a great thing. One great thing about doing what you said, imagining that we just have a mastermind group of SaaS founders or a mastermind group of investors or people building media companies is that you get that deep domain experience of, okay, this person is two steps ahead of where I'm at and they can sort of give me the playbook, which more or less may map to my experience and will work with me. And that will be lacking if you're building a SaaS company, but you're in a mastermind with two investors and two people building media companies and I don't know, a podcaster, for example. Uh, so there are pros and cons to, uh, <laughs> no shots. There are pros and cons to uh, each, each model there. The vision of masterminds, and this is our 10-year target, is to build a 30,000 member mastermind network. In that case, we will have the network density to say, hey, you're in a mastermind. If you want to be with founders in New York City for SaaS founders in the state of Florida, or other podcasters or podcasters earning over $20,000 a month in revenue and above. Once we have that network density, we can get that specific, but I still suspect that whether people know it or not, they should probably be in more general groups. And that may be something that we allow in the future as well, where people can join multiple groups. We have that now where I tend to participate in three or four masterminds each Monday. Yeah. I mean, in some of the events I went before everything got very busy for me just over a year ago, surprise, your curation is really, really strong on everything. And I like just the energy that comes off the community. And I think a lot of it does start from your, you know, your daily standup is nice because I've seen that in different areas, but not 
put together in this type of community. You know, you see it in other areas by itself or whatever. So I think, you know, you do sort of generate a lot of extra energy out of your community with those. So that is really cool. Just one thing I wanted to add to that. If someone in the audience is thinking about building a community, something that may be useful to them about the way that standups and masterminds work together for us in the past. And actually, as we speak, this is going to change soon. The way that people join masterminds is through a 100-day standup streak. So you sort of have this vetting of commitment or this vetting of reliability, dependability, uh, whatever you can vet for uh, in someone hitting a 100-day standup streak, you get that type of person in masterminds. Uh, what we're switching to is a 30-day uh, stand-up streak going forward, and that sort of maps closer to our, again, 10-year target to build this mastermind network of 30,000 founders. So I just wanted to make that connection clear between the stand-ups and how they progress into the masterminds. I was really excited when I, you know, I was like, oh, I can go to the weekly meetings. Oh, I have this. I got onto the thing. And then all of a sudden my life got crazy and I was like, oh, I fell off the board. So it is pretty cool. One of the things you did experiment, and I'm just very curious how this has gone for you, NFTing the individual research reports. That I thought was pretty cool. And I've seen them. I think you have them on OpenSeas. I thought that was a really cool experiment. And how is that working? Is it anything more than an experiment? Or what do you see with that? Just because it was pretty cool in my mind. Yeah. So it was an experiment and it's still live and it's going great. I was just talking about this at an event I just left called Capital Camp. And this sort of gets into my psyche a bit where I tend to overthink things and only move when I have really, really high conviction. So the story behind the NFT project, or perhaps I should describe it to people, with each report uh, that we release, there's a corresponding NFT that's released. A little bit about the concept of the NFT. So it's a piece of generative art, which is a force-directed graph. If you look up force-directed graph, you should sort of be able to look up to see what this looks like. And it emerges from this topic and how that new topic relates to the other topics that we've covered. It's called Metatrends. If you look up Metatrends, Trends BC, you should be able to find it. Uh, so that piece of art drops with each additional report that we release. And when I initially came up with the idea, I was writing the second report uh, on NFTs. Sometimes we come back and write subsequent versions of reports. And it felt like we had this puzzle with the missing piece. And this was the missing piece because it felt like it slotted in so well to everything that we had going on. So when new reports drop, uh, in the beginning, it says, hey there, a little intro. Congrats to the person last week that won that NFT. Uh, we usually run some type of auction. We have tried buy it now pricing it, everything in between. Uh, right now, we're experimenting with Dutch auctions. Uh, but congrats to the last person who won that NFT. Here's a chance to win this NFT. And someone goes and they can bid on that NFT. And it just adds this urgency to each report of there have been people that have emailed in. How can I get my hands on it? They just didn't open the email quick enough. So there are all of these other benefits. It has this like excitement effect of, you know, there's something new. If you didn't win it last week, you can, maybe it's available, maybe it's uh, not available. But yeah, that's also this sort of long-term thinking and that conviction uh, goes into the numbering system of reports of 0008 or 0080. It's sort of a nod towards long-term thinking. Cool. I think that's pretty cool. And I, 
I think it's an interesting sort of membership go to kind of bring things in. And I remember, because I s- subscribed way back when everything was free first, <laughs> you know, I think you were like a month or so in when I heard about you elsewhere. So I joined and I loved how cool it was the way you did your transition. Or I mean, you probably had to pay, but the that little hack of, okay, here are the ones that are free, but then there's deeper ones you know, additional information that is paid. And I think that's a really cool way you went about it for the business. When you think about that, and then you think about your own efforts to be a stronger, better entrepreneur, is there something you feel that has helped you significantly up your game as an entrepreneur along this journey? Yes. One thing that I had to learn and going from it just being me working on Trends VC to starting to build out a team is over-communicating, where sometimes I think people, it may make them tired the way that I will say the same thing three different ways and one message. But I feel like it's a uh, it has asymmetric downside if you don't do that. Uh, so now I just default to over-communication. I hope that answers your question, because that's the thing that's top of mind for me right now, is to over-communicate in situations. I do think that you get that kind of as you're going through with your company, it gets at like, okay, first, what you mean? People can't understand me right off the bat. And then you're like, okay, now I have to say, like, are you certain things you're practicing on a cadence saying it, or just when you are trying to communicate, getting things done? Is it like messaging? What do you feel like that extra emphasis has helped you do? Yeah. So whether I like it or not, <laughs> you be the judge of whether I like it. There are several times each day that you sort of, and and like sometimes you have natural experiments. Economists use this a lot of, hey, this country, which has very similar demographics to this country, had a different policy. So we can more or less eliminate the other variables to isolate this one. So I think that if this wasn't something where I was thrown into the fire each day between messages and circle, messages and signal, annotations in Google Docs as I'm editing our analysts, in Notion, there are probably on any given day, I'll say five to 20 opportunities to practice over communication. So it's sort of natural. And invariably, whenever I will slip up or get a little lazy, I won't say every time, but maybe once or twice a week, I can attribute this person running off into the wrong direction or reading between the lines in the wrong way to me, not over communicating. So there aren't specific practices outside of just being mindful in this signal message. This is the way that this message can be taken wrong and sort of speaking to that before it's taken the wrong way. And once again, just because I have for a few years been familiar with you. So some of the stuff, you know, people will, you know, from the audience, go check them out. You'll see some of the stuff, but like, I know like you had gone off and I'm not going to ask you about the early days, but I'm going to just make a comment. I know this was sort of near the end of you had given yourself three years to figure this out and trends kind of came near the end, but I do love how you had set out, you know, to be an entrepreneur, you know, you had set out, you were going to do this, you were going to create it the way you wanted to create it. You know, this location independent, you know, this taking your background and everything. Are there certain things now that you're giving yourself that you're saying, you know what, I really want to, not specifically about the company or this, but your capabilities as an entrepreneur that you are focusing on now, now that you have gotten into that next step, you're in that 
growth phase, you have a real business, you have a very cool real business. Now that you're there, what are you working on as an entrepreneur about yourself or about your own entrepreneurial capabilities? I'm not sure how new this is. Two things come to mind. I think table stakes is thinking about health a lot more. And it's interesting because it wasn't that much of a problem before Trends VC started. There was a lot of things that I had to give up, like jujitsu, for example, and training six to seven days a week to actually build and focus on Trends VC. And then the first, let's call it two years, it wasn't uncommon to go two, two and a half days with no sleep or you know ignore health in any number of ways. And that's something now that is becoming more and more of a non-negotiable. No, I mean, health is a big one just because you know, it's funny you say that and I'll just give you one caveat from my own broken. Yeah. Early on, you kind of, you're like, okay, I'm going to make this work, make this work, make this work. And then I remember we got to kind of the state and I'm like, okay, all right. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Put on a little weight. Uh, you know, all right. Let's get back in shape. And then a few years later, we were growing and kind of doubling and then stress started hitting because I had an infrastructure for like a two and a half million dollar company, but we were at five and change and growing fast. And it was like, wait, I'm working 90 hours a week, but it's my company. Why? And that was the first stuff I threw out, which meant a year later, it really hit hard. Lack of sleep, no exercise or barely exercise and too much alcohol. Even though some alcohol is good, it's that fine line with everything in life. So yeah, so I think it's great that you are putting it in. Just make sure you keep it because there will be another layer where you're like, oh, wait, I'll just brute force it. And time, when you're, (laughs) as someone who used to be able to be like, I could brute force time whenever I want. I can code. I can do this for days on end. Who needs it? And then all of a sudden, your 40s hit and you're like, uh, wait a second. <laughs> and now that I'm in my fifties, it's even more fun. It's like, wait, uh, there, I can't do this anymore. So yes, that is cool that you're working on. And I think it's, <laughs> I would love to add something tactical just for the audience that I started doing maybe three or four months ago at this point. Uh, and I picked this up from, it was last year at founder summit in Mexico city. Uh, they had us break out into these groups and we scored different aspects of our life. How do you feel about your health right now? How do you feel about your relationships? How do you feel about your business? Just go down, you know, the list. And it was a really useful exercise. We broke up into groups based on a secondary question, which is of these scores, which one do you want to change the most? Not necessarily what's your lowest score, but which one do you want to change the most? And we sort of talked about that. And from that exercise, I started doing something each night where I took the aspects of life that they gave us, but I also added some of my own. And on a scale of one to 10, each night I rate, like, how am I doing in terms of habits? Are my habits up to date? How am I doing in terms of sleep, diet, exercise? I have one called courage. You know, am I sort of running away from the scary things? Uh, So I will rate that on a scale of one to 10. And then next to each item, I have action items. If it's not a 10 and very rarely, almost nothing here is a 10. And if something is a 10, it's because of months and months of iterating each day. But next to, let's say, diet right now for me is a five. Uh, So next to that, I have intermittent fasting. I would like to get back on the 20 hours of fasting for our eating window is an action item I have. 
Another one is a no foods list. Uh, I just got back. I spent about 20 days in the States before I came to Mexico. And before that, I was in Cape Town. And before that, I was in Portugal. And there are a lot of foods that you can't get in these places. So I was binging to the point I felt my stomach jiggling in the States. So now that I'm away from that environment, I need to bring back some discipline just around like sort of my food list and the things that I eat and don't eat. Well, you're around the world of amazing tacos. So at least, yeah, tacos are always healthy. <laughs> always healthy. But, so yeah. on that topic, not to, not to get uh, off of business too much, uh, but this is my fourth time in uh, Puerto Vallarta where I'm at right now. And uh, I know the food spot. So I like over ate yesterday just so I could like behave from this point on. So it's like my benching yesterday. <laughs> you're like, okay, I'm back here. Got to go. No, I I haven't been there since God. I think the nineties. Yeah, I, and that's beautiful. I got to get back. Yeah, it's funny you say that, and and we'll bring it back to business in a second. But you know, I live in Spain, and you know, I'm moving back to the U.S. But so much of like all the cool stuff everyone's talking about, like the different diet or this or that or this supplement or legal marijuana, all stuff that really doesn't exist here in Spain. We have cannabis clubs, but that's weird. And there's almost no product development other than, you know, whatever's going to get you stoned fastest. So it's like, eh, okay. But yeah, I mean, it is like, wow, just in five years, whenever I go back to the US, I'm like, oh my God, product differentiation is so huge. You know, I'm used to like, Two different types of apples at the store, <laughs> like everything being pretty straightforward. So, yeah, my summer is going to be crazy. Well, getting back to business, you're talking about creating this company that's going to be a grand mastermind company, and that's pretty huge because there are some big players in the space. But you know, as someone who has jumped around a lot of them, there is plenty of open space because they all seem to do well in a few things, but not in a large amount of things. That's a big goal you have for the company, but how about for yourself as an entrepreneur? Do you have goals as you as an entrepreneur and how do you go about setting those goals? Absolutely. So this gets into another nightly ritual (laughs) that I have and it's of a manifestation journal that I write and rewrite each night. So looking at it now, there are a mix of business goals and a mix of personal goals, and I separate them by periods. So at the top is sort of my goal for life. Then I have a number of goals for the next decade with a date next to it, three years, one year, 90 days, 30 days. And at the life level, there's only one goal, and that's to do 1 million comfort challenges. And a comfort challenge for me is something that's new and or uncomfortable. So what's an example? Uh, Starting jujitsu, the first day at jujitsu was a comfort challenge. Before I walked out the door to go to this random gym that I found, I just Googled, hey, do people get hurt? And people like, you definitely get hurt. (laughs) It's just a matter of when and how much, but you get hurt. And I just shut all of that out. And was like, you know, put the key in the ignition and just drove there and like drug myself into the gym. And of that three-year sabbatical that you just talked about, that may have been one of the most important decisions. I'm sure that's one of the top three, if not top two decisions that I made during that three-year sabbatical. And it's not that 
all conference challenges have these epic stories that are tied to them. Most conference challenges, 90% are duds, but the point isn't to succeed or to get a yes if a conference challenge for you is to ask a girl out or ask a guy out. The point isn't to succeed. The point is to do the thing. And if you do the thing, then you get credit for that being a conference challenge. I have a whole way that I keep track of these things, which we can talk about separately, but that's my sort of overarching goal. The reason why I do it is to grow. I think it's a great catalyst for growth. I know other people like um, Impossible HQ that, yeah, their whole thing is like, let's create the impossible lists. So here, just because I was getting just a little feedback, are you saying conflict or comfort? Like, oh, comfort challenges. <laughs> um, that, that brings up this important nuance, which I've never talked about, but I've noticed that sometimes I've taken comfort challenges too far, where I think there's a fine line between there are things that you, and it's also a very personal thing for something that is a comfort challenge for me might not be a comfort challenge for you because you have more reps or you're just more naturally inclined or that just never occurred to you that that would be uncomfortable. So it's a very personal thing. But getting back to that fine line, there have been phases where it's like, oh, just to meet this comfort challenge quota of I want to do five a day or seven a day. Well, I'll speak for myself. I've had to pull back sometimes from like not doing stupid things. This is something that you want to do. You genuinely want it, but it scares you in some way. You should do those things, but not stupid things that you really don't want. Because, and conflict brought this up, right? Because I think that there's productive conflict, there's healthy conflict, there's also unhealthy conflict where you know with a 99.99% chance who you're dealing with or how this thing may turn out. So you probably shouldn't go into that situation, you know, expecting something different. Think like relationships and conflict sort of took me to that mind space thinking about that. But that is kind of cool. I like how you have this daily cadence set up. I love your take on Ben Franklin, because I did that years and years ago in grad school and it really worked. And then I dropped it and I was just like, wow, that's cool. You know, that is kind of, I wish I hadn't. Since you have this daily cadence, both on sort of a tactical layer and then sort of your manifestation, do you incorporate them into then like weekly, monthly, like regular feedback loops to kind of go deeper and kind of help guide that process? Yes and no. So the manifestation journal is done daily. The sort of rating or scorecard for the life is also done daily. It's funny because when I got to Puerto Vallarta last night, uh, I sort of sat down and I was going through this process again. And one thing I love about traveling is when you change your environment on a regular basis, you end up like changing your thinking, like just new environment, new thinking can be as fur to think new. So uh, this process, and that's probably half of the process that I talked about, it takes 60 to 90 minutes a night, which is a huge investment. So what do I do on a weekly basis? What do I do on a monthly basis? I also do this on a daily basis. Now we're getting to about like 70% of the daily routine of what went well today and what could be improved as well as what does a perfect day look like tomorrow. So that's the part that I carry weekly. And I also carry monthly of what went well this month. What could you have improved this month? And there's some fine nuance and what could you have improved? Not what went badly, but what were you mindful of that perhaps I knew how this would turn out and I make a wrong decision, if that makes sense. Not where you didn't have prior information, blah, blah, blah. You can't put that stuff down because you couldn't have improved it, right? There was no way you could have known that. 
And then also like based on whatever period we're talking about, day, week, month, what does a perfect X look like? Have you found your ability to craft those times? Because I agree with you, being in a situation where you're, you may still have everything, and I'm pointing, since no one can see this on a podcast, I'm pointing at my electronics, you know, my monitor, my keyboard, the iPad, all that fun stuff. That's all there. But when your environment is constantly changing, you're having to kind of think, you have to constantly go, oh, wait, what about this? What about that? And it, you know, it makes you adapt. Do you see your ability to craft what is the real perfect day for you changing over time by doing this? It's definitely a challenge. And I would say, excuse me, for me, it's a feature and not a bug. And I feel like I talked to several people at Capital Camp about this idea where they're like, oh, I'm big on habits. And without knowing me, I'm meeting them for the first time. They're like, oh, I'm big on habits. I couldn't know matter. It's like, I'm probably... I don't know what percentile you would put me in in terms of the people that care about habits. I care about habits a lot. But what moving around does for me is it forces me to adopt Lindy habits or to adopt robust habits. For example, one thing that I miss the most, I spent a decade in Atlanta before I started nomading a year and a half ago. One thing I miss the most is biking and knowing uh, we have a belt line in Atlanta, which the habitual goal is for to loop 20 miles around the city such a great piece of infrastructure. And I miss that. And since I don't know if I will have access to a bike in a random beach town in Portugal or in Cape Town or wherever I'm at, I've shifted that to walking. Knock on wood, I should be able to walk for the rest of my life, hopefully. So um, that's a more lindy or robust habit. I'm sure there are tons of examples if I just look at my list of habits and my habit tracker app, uh, things that I've had to tweak and to adopt. But that gives me confidence as well. If, if this habit can withstand different environments, it can also withstand a static environment. If I was in a place for six months or in one place for a year, but th- it was a challenge. But again, I think it was a feature and not a bug. And I know Matt because it's challenging um, because I have to throw myself into new environments and it prevents habit rot. You don't know who you're going to hang out with, what you're going to eat. There are so many variables, but that sort of trains you to roll with the punches. No, I, th- I think that really... It is such a great experience because yeah, it's rolling with the punches. It's making sure your habits are going to be the ones that are most important to you because everything is constantly changing that like, you know, if there's a, not saying this is a habit, but let's just, because this is what my brain went, if there's a certain type of beer you have to have every day and you start traveling around the world, unless it's Guinness, you're not going to find it. You know, Guinness, okay, you can get away with because you know, my Irish ancestors kind of decided to go everywhere in the world. But other than that, yeah, all right, I ruined that. Um, but still, the idea that- It spurred another yeah. thought, though. It spurred another thought of like a very small example is this pen that I'm holding. And a few years ago, this is what a G2 Pilot 38 millimeter pen. I love this pen. It's the only pen that I write with. But I was in Lisbon and I didn't have any more pens left. They were all empty. So it forced me to get out and I was searching the town for this pen for like a week and I couldn't find this pen. And then I wish I could remember the name of a shop, but it's like owned by a Japanese company. I stumbled in there, bought some pen refills. I took the body from the G2 pilot, put the pen refill in there. And now I like this sort of bust down this like hybrid pen better than I like the G2 pilot. So sometimes those like you didn't get that beer, but you found a better beer that you like. Not likely, but sometimes possible, you know? 
a different experience yeah. that led you to sort of evolve a little bit more. Yeah, that's cool. Thank you for rescuing my <laughs> my off story. I was like, no, it could have been a good story, and then I just ruined it. Well, hey, Drew, I mean, I love trends. I love the reports. I find a lot of times it's really cool to read them, but what I've been realizing, something will happen and I'll go, wait a second. I think there's a report that talks on this subject or there's an evolution of something that happens elsewhere. And I'm like, huh, I wonder. And I'm like, okay, let me go take a look and see what was being talked about. And it's interesting because even the old ones, because you have talked about updating them, even the old ones are really amazing bases for ongoing research for when things are evolving quickly and then, you know, like something happened three years ago and then all of a sudden something new happens in that space because, you know, some of the players may be there, may not be, but it is that like, oh, wait, these are here and look how they've changed and all this. So no, I just, I really wanted to call that out because that is such a cool service in the marketplace with so many things changing to get this deep dives of it's almost trends before they're trends sometimes. So yeah. Just to add to that point, one thing that I'm looking forward to, and I've been talking about this for a while now, is this idea of meta trends, not the NFT collection, but meta trends originally, what they mean to me is a meta trend is sort of a through line between topics of okay, what's the through line between no code and decentralized finance? What's the through line between building in public and curation as a service? And bringing these sort of recurring lessons or these recurring themes to the surface if someone doesn't have time to read through 100 reports. So yeah, that's something I'm really looking forward to. And I have a format in mind that just might work. I think so often the concept of what makes things cool, because a lot of time from a marketing point, I talk a lot about the idea is if you see something really cool that someone else is doing, steal it and then make it your own. So those lines are kind of what you're looking for. I mean, I am kind of talking about mark, but you can do it in almost anything. You know, it's like, don't copy. That won't really get you anywhere. It's like you steal it and you, you find that one piece that's like, okay, this is X, Y, or Z. I'm in D, F, and B oh, wait, you know what? If I can take that one line, change it and you know fit it, it is. That is so cool. I can't wait to see some of those. I That would be a lot of fun. Yeah, this comes full circle to our conversation about the benefits of these general masterminds versus the more vertical masterminds. And I think what you said is sort of a nod to the benefits of the general masterminds. Again, looking across industries of, I was just listening to a podcast, a podcast about Rockefeller and um, sort of the innovation of transporting uh, oil. Uh, it was either via rail or via pipes, but it was common in other industries, but not common in oil or done at all in oil. And they just reached into this other vertical, took that, and that's what allowed them to drop prices down uh, so much. Not because that medium was cheap, but because they could sort of play this other medium against other people who had monopolized sort of other means of transporting oil. And um, so, yeah, if you have three bidders or something, it's better than having two bidders. But yeah. That is cool. Because, yeah, I mean, my son was just taking his AP American history and we were going through different periods. And yeah, Rockefeller came up. And I'm going to have to dive a little bit into that and kind of because that is kind of cool when those moments happen and do that. Drew, how can the audience, where can they go find you and where should they go to find trends.vc? 
The number one way is just to put uh, Trends VC into the browser and pull us up that way. Uh, I'm also on Twitter, uh, D-R-U-R-L-Y. And I would say those are the two best ways. And I really, as someone who's been you know, subscribed for a long time, the information is really, really deep. And it there's always something that you can kind of take a new look at the things you're already working on. So I think it's well worth the time if you go check it out. Drew, thank you so much. I hope you have a great time down in Mexico. It is beautiful down there. So enjoy yourself. Thanks again for having me, AJ. This episode of Beyond Eight Figures is over, but your journey as an entrepreneur continues. So if we can help you with anything, please just let us know. And if you like this episode, please share it with someone who might learn from it. Until next time, keep growing and find the joy in your journey. This is AJ, and I'll be talking to you soon. Bye-bye.